All right, Psalm 84. I am going to read from the English Standard Version. What other versions do we have this morning? NIV, NLT, oh, hang on, CEV, New King James. Very good. So King James, not new. Uh, original, original, brilliant. Okay, any more? The message, great. Uh, what else? Is that, that's quite a few. Okay, fine. Now, the reason that I'm doing this is that if you're following, the reason I'm naming all of these translations is that if you're following through in one of those translations, as I read from the ESV, some of you are going to find that your translation says something really different. And uh, I'm going to explain why that is a little bit later as we go along. And I wanted to draw attention to that rather than hide from it. So let's um, walk through this psalm. And what we're going to find here are three blessings that come from being with God. It's a psalm that's all about being with God. That theme we've had this morning already coming through loud and clear in Advent, Emmanuel, God with us, which means we can be with God there in his presence. So here's how it goes. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh, they they sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And the Hebrew word there, Salah, meaning, just have a little think about that. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Salah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts, it's better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's a bunch of blessings here. We're going to draw out three things from this. Now, the psalm here describes the physical temple that Solomon built. That temple no longer exists. Indeed, it's no longer needed. But it still provides us, its structure, its physical reality, still provides us with something helpful to help us understand what it means to be with God. So we're going to think for a moment here it is, about the structure of the temple and how it can illustrate for us 
the Christian experience of prayer. It starts out as you come on in with the outer court, where all people could come, all people could come and pray in God's house. And so for us, as we think about being with God, about our relationship with him, we can come to him, we can turn our thoughts to him, and we can name our needs, whatever they may be, before him. Beyond the outer court was a higher court, sometimes called the court of priests. And this court held an altar and a a seed to hold water for cleansing. That is a great big basin that they called the sea. It was a place of cleansing, a place of sin being dealt with so that it no longer burdened us and held us back. As Christians, once we come into God's presence and start to name things before him, the things that we want to pray about, he starts to draw our attention to what's going on in us as well. And the fact that there are things in us that he wants to change, things that he wants to cleanse, things that he wants to burn up and leave us free from our sin. There's a stepping on in closer to God, not just telling him stuff, but starting to hear what he wants to do in us and receiving his power. And then it goes on in, what was called the holy place, where it's a special place. There were plumes of incense going up constantly, making it a fragrant and precious space. And in there, there was always some bread, and there was always light shining from a great big candlestick, a place of strength that could come to us as we feed, and a place of light shining with revelation, going on in closer to God, finding that he strengthens us. And as we pray, we find that, do we not? As we come to him and he touches us in, a, in ways that we barely understand, and then we, something starts to happen as we find strength comes that wasn't there before, and we see things that we didn't see before. And then finally, the Holy of Holies, a place rarely entered, a place of silence and awe and wonder. And how wonderful when our prayers bring us to that place. Sometimes our worship corporately brings us to that place where I don't feel there's anything much more to say. Uh, like a child lying in their parents' arms or a lover resting in another's arms. There's, no, there's nothing more that needs saying. We're together. And that will do. We're invited into the presence of God, the power behind all things, the person behind all things. So let's look at this psalm in a little bit more detail. Here we go. From the first few verses, we can see that there's something about longing and fainting. Actually, the word fainting um, the, comes from a word that is to do with going pale. It's like you're so desperate for something that, that you, the blood has drained from you such as your desperate pining for something that you've not yet received. That's what the psalmist is writing about, a depth of longing for being with God. And then I love the fact that 
In the different translations, where I read, what did I read? Uh, My heart and flesh sing for joy. Where the English Standard Version says sing for joy. What do some of the other translations say? Cry out. Shout joyfully. The message must say something more interesting than that, Molly. (laughs) Sorry to put you on the spot. Any others? What I love, don't worry about it, it's okay. What I love about it is that the Hebrew word here is the word ranan, which I love because it, it, the sound of it and the people who've looked into these things and understand it better than me think that this word is as it is because it sounds like what you do when you shout for joy. It's like, rah! Yes! So sometimes in English we say that someone's just getting a little bit too rah. I don't know if you've ever heard people saying that. It's a little bit too much rah going on. And here we have it in the psalm. This massive contrast. On the one hand, fainting, going pale. I'm like, that's something I need and I haven't got it. And then coming into the presence of God. And it's like, yes! It's good, isn't it? Well, I've succeeded in my next task, which is to bring a measure of joy. So that's good. Uh, Uh, this thing that's described at the beginning of the psalm about longing, then in God's presence turning to joy. I can claim, um, well, I think I said it's about a person. (sighs) Let me slow down. It is like someone longing for a lover and then arriving at their wedding day. That's, That's why I've got this picture here. That's what it's like now. This is what I was going to say, is I can claim some expertise on this since I've married 15 women um, here in this building. And I've stood here, and we normally have a central aisle, and I've stood here, and uh, starting with John Snelson, first time I did this, I have shared the groom's view of the bride's face as they turn a corner, somewhere around about there. And I I want you to know they are always radiant. And they're radiant with joy because something longed for is being realized. And uh, they're about to enter in to something that will continue to bring joy for many years to come. There's a pile of joy in the Christmas story of Emmanuel God with us. You find it again and again. It starts with John the Baptist still in the womb, and the scripture says he leapt for joy when Mary turned up carrying Jesus. The angels brought news of great joy. The Magi rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw the star. The early church, too, in their experience of God being with them by the power of the Holy Spirit, they found the same thing. Romans 14 verse 17 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness of peace and to right in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, next chapter, keeps on with joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There's joy to be found. Now, Here's the thing. If you're feeling glum, you cannot whip up joy. I am not saying this morning, 
come on, cheer up for goodness sake. Because that doesn't work. That's, no, this is how it works. We come and approach God and rest in his presence. And in his presence, there is a fullness of joy that comes from the inside out. We can always return to joy. Whatever challenges we have, however glum we may have become, and there are sometimes really big reasons for being glum, there is uh, a joy that can never be taken from us, a joy that we can always return to, that we can always go and find. And we don't drum it up. We seek God, and joy comes. We seek him, and joy comes. That's the first blessing that we see in this psalm. Uh, Here's another one. I've shown this picture before because I love it. It's a stream in the desert uh, following the rains, a river returning to the desert. And you can find a video of this. If you Google the river Zin, Z-I-N, you can see it's just really cool. River coming in the desert. The psalm goes on to talk about streams in dry places, of pools of refreshing. So the second thing here is that with God, it's with God that longing can turn to joy, and with God there is always refreshing. This is another point at which I was keen. This is the, this is the point in the psalm, these few verses, where you may well have found that your translation says something different to the one that I read. And I want to take a moment to explain that, because translation isn't always an easy thing to do. Whatever translation you've got, it is brilliant, because we're served with such a huge um, you know, wealth of really well-translated texts. But there are choices to be made in translation, and it's not always easy, because words can sometimes mean several things, as in the phrase, children make nutritious snacks. <laughs> and in these few verses, there are a number of Hebrew words that could mean a couple of different things. So, uh, There's a word, uh, misaluth, meaning ways, which could be translated to mean either highways, in the sense of physical roads to travel along, or ways of life that you could follow. There's also the word baka, which could mean a kind of tree. So one of your translations might have said, instead of the valley of baka, the valley of poplars, or it might have had that in a footnote. Because actually, this word, when it's used in the plural is used to refer to a certain kind of tree. If it means it here, then it's a singular tree in a valley, because it's a singular word. Or the word sounds rather like the word for tears, and it could mean the valley of tears, and you may have that as well. The word sounds a bit like the Arabic word for dryness, and so you may find your translation says a dry valley of tears, trying to capture the richness of what it might mean. And other people say, hmm, Let's not translate it, and let's leave it as a place name. And so most translations say the valley of Baca, because maybe it's simply the name of the place, like calling somewhere Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Uh, having, some people, having decided that it's safest to see it as a place name, have then tried to identify which physical valley is being talked about. Reading 2 Samuel 5, there is a valley called Rephaim, where the kind of tree that this would be referring to was noted as growing. People have said, could it be that place? In Judges 2, there's a valley of Bokim, where the people wept. 
Maybe it was that place. I suppose the headline from all of that is there is some uncertainty. And where most translations go with Valley of Baca and leave you to dig a bit more if you want to, that is good translation practice. But it goes on. There's more. The word more uh, can mean either autumn rains or teacher. It's quite a big difference. And the fourth thing, the word barica can mean either pools or blessings. And all of these words are there in just a few verses. So what tends to happen is that translators either go down one path or another. They tend to go down the path of either translating all of these things in the more physical sense or translating them all in the more principled sense, which looks a bit like this. The NIV, for those who have it, emphasizes the physical thing. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Uh, You may well find, if you have a translation like this, that there's a little footnote with the words to Zion, informing you that those words just aren't there in the Hebrew. Because they're not. It just says, in whose heart are the highways. Others, uh, I, Luther, I liked his translation. Actually, he translated it into German and uh, needed to um, make it into English. But he wrote this in translating it. And it's, uh, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who follow your ways from the heart. As they go through the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs, and the teachers are given blessings. That's a good one for anyone in education. So I'm being open this morning about what is a challenge sometimes in reading the scripture. And I want to say it's not, I hope this doesn't all sound too academic, but I'm just trying to be honest with with what the scriptures say. And uh, there is a principle that can help us here, which is that when it's unclear how to interpret a particular text of scripture, then the principle that we can follow is to allow other scriptures to inform us about what this one means, because all of scripture is God-breathed and it holds together. So what do other scriptures have to say that help us here? Well, this can help us quite a bit, because there is nowhere else in the Bible, um, I invite you to try to prove me wrong, but there is nowhere else in the Bible that it speaks about pilgrims changing the places that they pass through. So if your, your translation says something about pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, that, this is the only place where that might be what it means. You won't find that anywhere else in scriptures. Whereas there are a great many texts that promise life to those who follow the Lord. So I want to encourage us this morning... Uh, to lean into that truth that there is life available to those who follow the Lord. We find that in many places in Scripture. So, for example, right at the beginning of Psalms, the very first thing said in the whole book of Psalms is, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. That's someone who's following God's ways, has them in his heart, meditating on them. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So here's the thing. 
fellowship with God and devotion to him, this psalm tells us, will lead to the blessing of refreshment and then a flourishing and a fruitfulness. Spurgeon put it this way, commenting on this psalm, no misery can be so great, no place so barren, but that a godly heart can make it into a spring. No misery can be so great, no place so barren, but that a godly heart can make it into a spring. I said before, you can't make yourself be joyful, but if you come into God's presence, joy comes. You can't make yourself be lively. You can't revive yourself. You can come into God's presence. He revives us. He refreshes us. Life comes. Strength comes. Flourishing comes. Okay, that's the second blessing. Now, there is a turn aside in this psalm to something else which most commentators describe as a prayer for the king, with a pause in the middle of it. Verses 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The anointed here is the king. And it's a reminder to us, and we're coming back to just a brief prayer for our nation in a moment, uh, that we are called also, not just to note that the psalmist prays for the king, but we're called to pray for the king and those in authority. We don't have a king, we have a queen, and those in authority. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul wrote, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may, de- may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So we're going to take a moment to bless our leaders in this nation in the same way that the psalmist blessed the king then. Um, Here are some of our leaders this week. Uh, If you're unsure of the bottom two, that's the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Home Secretary. And um, the, the particular blessing that the psalm uh, asks God to provide is that where, let me get the words right here that it's this look on the face of your anointed look on their face the, the blessing that is called for is God would you come face to face with our king the, the, the blessing that I'm going to invite you to pray in a minute is the, is the, um, the priestly blessing from the Old Testament that's about God coming face-to-face with people, which is a wonderful place to be and a potentially scary place to be. And that's the prayer of blessing that I'm going to invite you to pray. You can choose which of those four people you want to focus your prayer at. Um, But these are the words of the, the priestly blessing. Would you join with me? Pick one of those people. Maybe there's another leader you want to pray these blessings on. And we're praying that God would come face-to-face with them. we do that? Yeah, good, okay. Let's bless them. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. We're nearly finished with this psalm. Here's the last thing. And since the nicest of those four pictures was, I think, the one of the queen, we've got another one. Uh, The last few verses of the psalm, as you cast your eye over them, you will see they recap some of the earlier blessings. In verse 10, some of that earlier joy of longing for God's presence and then, yes, I'm in it is remembered with this thing, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. That is, I'd rather stand like right on the threshold on just getting, you know, the tips of my toes into your presence, God. I'd rather be there than with the tents of the wicked. There's this longing for God's presence that's reminded, and just how wonderful it is to be in God's presence. That's there in verse 10. In verses 11 and 12, there's this Reminder again that the upright, those who walk in God's ways, those who trust him, they lack nothing they need. They're truly blessed and given favor. And then there's one more distinct outcome of being with God that's listed in verse 11 that I want to draw your attention to. And it's where it says, the Lord bestows favor and honor. Favor and honor. This is the story of Christmas in a nutshell, that God came down from his lofty place to a lowly place in order to lift us up. He came down and he lifts us up. How astonishing that the one who deserves all the praise and all the worship forever and ever, amen, would come down and choose to honor us, to lift us up. As it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy up from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. He said, you can't make yourself joyful, but you can come into God's presence and joy starts to arise. You can't make yourself lively, Come into God's presence and life comes. He revives us. And you can't make yourself honored. That you definitely can't do. That depends entirely on someone other than you. But we come into God's presence and we receive honor from him. How astonishing. He lifts our heads. He lifts us up. He says of us, you are my child. Child of the king. Also known as a prince or a princess. It's who you are. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to finish with a couple of songs, maybe just the one, around being in God's presence. And my prayer is that we don't just have a moment now. My, my, my prayer ahead of this morning was that somehow this psalm would stick in our hearts this Christmas and that through this Christmas... Whether you're feeling glum and needing joy or feeling dry and needing refreshing or feeling disdained and devalued and needing to have your head lifted afresh, my hope was that this psalm would be a reminder to keep coming back and keep coming back and make time with God part of this Christmas season.